I'm John Banther, and this is Classical Breakdown. From Classical WETA in Washington, we take you behind the music. In this episode, I'm joined by principal clarinet of the National Symphony Orchestra, Lin Ma. He talks all about the clarinet, like how it evolved into its modern form, how it's used in the orchestra, what it's made from, a tricky situation he found himself in during a concert, plus he even plays for us some of his favorite orchestral moments. Thank you so much, Lin Ma, for joining me to talk all about the clarinet. I think there's a lot of things we can uncover for our audience, even though the clarinet, I think, is still a pretty popular instrument. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to talk about clarinet. Let's go right into the basics here, Lin. If you had to describe the clarinet to someone who had never even seen one before or heard one, how would you describe the clarinet in a few sentences? The clarinet is basically a cylindrical tube with tone holes and keys and uh, it is part of the woodwind family. Most of the modern clarinets are made out of African black wood. That's why they are uh, black. And uh, one important component of this instrument is that uh, it uses a single reed that is uh, attached to a mouthpiece where other woodwind uh, instruments like bassoon and oboe use double reeds. And I would say that is uh, one of the main things that makes this instrument unique. So one thing you've already caught my curiosity on is the just the color of it. It's black, not because it's been dyed or necessarily lacquered black, or maybe, but actually the wood itself is black. Yeah, that's right. Those um, African black wood, these are the densest and the hardest wood you can find in the world. And uh, it's used quite a lot to make instruments. Oh, okay. So where did the clarinet come from? I'm wondering about, you know, when we started to see it come into fruition, maybe did it evolve from an older instrument? Yeah, the clarinet came from a Baroque instrument called Shadamu. And this instrument is very similar to a recorder, but it is played with a mouthpiece with a single reed. Composers like uh, Vivaldi and Tenement have written music for this instrument. However, the problem with this instrument is that it could only play in the fundamental range. You can only play a dozen of notes on the Shandamu. And of course, after some big improvements made to the Shandamu, it was developed into the Baroque clarinet. And the, the clarinet not only could cover the entire range of Shandamu, but also extended to second and third register, so making the Shanamu very impractical, and later it just disappeared entirely from the repertoire. And I'll put a picture on the show notes page of the Shalamo because, well, it's, as you said, it really looks, it looks like a recorder, but with this mouthpiece that has a reed on it that is like um, you find on the clarinet. So what made the development possible of playing, going from just like a dozen notes on the Shalamo to a full range on the Baroque and the modern clarinet? Is it something I read called about the register key? That's right. It's the register key makes the instrument is easier to overblow to high notes in the harmonics. So the register key, it's one key that uh, one of your finger touches, and then by 
using that key, opening or closing a hole, and then adjusting the amount of air you're blowing into it, you can blow up to a higher or a lower pitch than you would not be able to on the shallow mo. Is is that right? That's correct. Okay. And what is the read like? Because you described it well of not being like the bassoon or oboe reeds, ones that are um, what we call a double reed. But this one, it's a single reed. It's like a flat piece of wood, right? I'm wondering, do you make that? Do you buy that? Or maybe you buy it commercially and have to make adjustments yourself? Or is it just out of the box, ready to go? Uh, luckily, there are decent quality coronary reeds manufactured by companies, so we don't have to spend a lot of time making them from scratch. However, you know, the, the reeds are thin pieces of bamboos. Every bamboo is different, so is the reed. So we do spend a lot of time selecting them, adjusting them according to personal preference. Actually, some clarinet players decided to just make their own from can because the reed is a very crucial part of what we deal with. I remember my teacher, Rich Hardy, once said, you are only as good as your reeds. Honestly, I did not agree at first, but after playing orchestra for some years, it's so true. If the reed fails, you fail. It's like a voice for a singer. Mm. And also, the reed is very sensitive to environment, temperature, humidity, altitude. If I, if I go to Colorado, I have to play with very different reed setup. Oh, wow. You say it's sensitive. So does it last not very long then? Is it kind of degrade quickly? Yeah, it depends how, how you play it. If you play the reed um, too often, they die quickly. So you have to kind of break them in slowly. Yeah, I keep many, many reeds with me. Uh, I bring them onto the stage and I even switch them during the performance. So I don't get to play on a single reed for too long. Okay. Does it go even further to say, okay, I have this solo coming up in this piece and I'd rather use this reed for that as opposed to another reed for the rest of a symphony? Does it go into as much detail as that or is it really just shuffling them around so you don't use one too much? You're right. I just shuffling around so I don't use one too much. If Let's say if I am um, have a big a solo uh, concello coming in a month, I would start to breaking in slowly, playing them a little bit a day so I don't get to kill the reed too early before the big performance. And I would recommend for everyone um, listening, the next time you go to an orchestral concert, really look down on stage to, to the woodwinds because you'll see, just as you described, Wind players have a lot of reeds with them. You'll see them laid out with the bassoon, uh, laid out with the oboe, and the clarinet as well. It's almost like they're at a flea market ready to sell a bunch of different reeds. So that's always fun to look out for. So we went from this Shalomo, very um, rudimentary instrument, to being developed with um, a register key, getting us to play in higher and um, perhaps lower registers. We are now playing with different, um, better materials, so the instrument sounds better. With all these advances, I'm wondering how the clarinet was used throughout history as well. So, for instance, 
How was it used within ensembles or not in like the um, early 1700s? The clarinet uh, isn't heard very much in Baroque music. During the late Baroque period, composers started to write a difficult melody in the high register for the trumpet. So some music used the clarinet in a more trumpet-like role. And uh, as the instrument developed, it soon attracted composers. And Mozart not only wrote some of the best clarinet repertoire, but also started to uh, introduce this instrument to the symphony. In the earlier time, the clarinet was not included in the orchestra due to its late evolution. I like how you described with these higher writings with composers like um, Vivaldi in the later part of the Baroque period, the early 18th century, of being like trumpet parts because clarinet comes from, if I understand correctly, clarinetto, which is clarino, trumpet, and etto, meaning little. So little trumpet, literally in the name. You're right. I find that so funny. And when you, I'll put some video on the show notes page too, because off the top of you know your head, you think, well, the clarinet sounded like a trumpet, but these these older ones, especially, had quite some projection on them, and they really it's you, I can definitely hear them being used for trumpet parts. So I'll put those on the on the show notes page. So it sounds like getting into what we'll call the classical period, like the 1750s and later, with composers like Mozart and Haydn. That's when we started to see it in more music as it was you know more developed. That's right. How many clarinets do we already see in the orchestra at this time? Well, it started with just two. And um, in the Mozart symphony, there are only two clarinets in the orchestra. But later, let's say in the 19th century, the composers started to demand more in volume and uh, variety in colors. The orchestra grew larger, and so did the uh, clarinet section with addition of E-flat and the bass clarinet. And the composers like Berlioz have written solo for the E-flat. And uh, in his uh, famous um, uh, Symphony Fantastique, uh, during his final movement, he used this E-flat to uh, depict the, the dance of witches. And that's something I would like to play for you later. We're all definitely looking forward to hearing that. I know that's one of my my favorite excerpts. But thinking back a little bit to, you know, we've said Mozart a lot, right? Because Mozart loved the clarinet. He really popularized it in his symphonies. Of course, he wrote a huge concerto for the instrument. But going a little bit after Mozart and before Berlioz, how was it used by Beethoven, for instance? Was he using the clarinet differently or more of the same as what Mozart was doing? Beethoven used two clarinets in the orchestra. There are a lot of great uh, solos written in his uh, symphonies. Which symphony would you say has a good example of that? I remember the first, the very first symphony I listened to is the Beethoven Sixth Symphony, and which has a lot of clarinet solos. I remember the first time I was listening to it, I was wondering why is this clarinet playing by itself? 
and uh, Leila understand that the solo parts are given to the principal clarinet, and uh, usually when you hear a solos, they are played by the principal players. When you say it was the first symphony you heard, is was that really like when you were a child and you you're just hearing a symphony for the first time? Yes, I think I was in elementary school. That's when I first heard、uh, orchestral symphony. Okay, so it sounds like you were already enamored with the instrument right from the beginning. Yes. And how quickly did you start playing the clarinet after hearing it for the first time? Actually, I started to play the saxophone, and、uh, I switched to the clarinet because my teacher at that time told me to, and the、uh, saxophone was not a major in the conservatory yet. And he wanted me to pursue music in the conservatory, so I had to switch to the clarinet. Well, we're happy you made the switch. I mean, the saxophone is a great instrument, but of course, it's not standard in the orchestra. But we're happy you made the switch, and of course, that brought you here to to Washington、uh, to play with the NSO. I'm glad I made the switch too. So Mozart and then Beethoven, we hear that that solo, also Berlioz, as you mentioned, using the the clarinet. What if we fast forward to today? Is the clarinet used differently today than it was those centuries ago? Are the parts harder? Is the technique any different? I'm wondering how different is the clarinet today? Not only the clarinet is commonly used in classical music and a symphony. It has been a Leading voice in jazz too.、Uh, you probably heard the name、uh, Benny Goodman,、mm-hmm. the King of Swing, or P. Fountain. They have led、uh, very successful big band and a small group. That and the clarinet just became a very popular instrument. Gershwin also wrote a very famous clarinet solo in his Rhapsody in Blue. And I think those people you're just mentioning,、uh, Gershwin and Benny Goodman, they also give weight to Mozart's assessment centuries before, saying, you know, the the clarinet is closest in tone and quality to the human voice. Because I think in those works and in those musicians, you really hear that coming across. Another question about the clarinet in the orchestra: How different are the clarinet parts from other instruments in the wind section? Like, how different are they? Than flute or bassoon or or oboe, do you find yourself playing with them often, or is it often the clarinets are doing their own thing? One of the unique thing about the clarinet is that it has a very wide range. You can play high with the flute. You can also play very low with the horns. It's almost like the clarinet. As you're describing, it sounds like an instrument that is kind of a chameleon in the wind section. It can join the flutes up high, it can join the horns down low, it can blend in soft, or it can punch out like that little trumpet sound in some works like the Berlioz. You're right. I think you've already mentioned you've got some exciting things to play for us. We'll get into that right after this. Let's take a quick break. Classical breakdown is made possible by Classical WETA. Join us for the music anytime, day or night. To listen live, just go to our website, classicalweta.org, or download our app. It's free in the App Store. Okay, Lynn, I'm excited now to hear you play the clarinet for us. What is the first thing you're going to play? I would like to play 
the beginning of the second movement in Mozart clarinet concerto. Lynn, that is absolutely beautiful. What about this moment in the clarinet concerto speaks to you? Is there like a story that you're kind of playing out in your head as you're playing? Or is it more of just, for me, it's almost like it's ethereal and floating in a nebula kind of sound. What is it for you when you're playing this? What I love about this concerto is that it really showcases the range of the clarinet not only in sound in pitches also emotionally I felt the second movement is very spiritual too and um, when I hear a good playing of the, the second movement he often brings tears to my eyes it's a very beautifully written music you know, I have played this piece many, many times. Of course, this is the the first thing the committee wants to hear in every audition. But I have never get to perform this piece. I would like to let you know that actually I will be performed with the National Symphony on this piece in December. So I welcome you to come to the concert. Well, I'm looking forward to hearing you playing that in December with the NSO. If you've listened to this episode after December, I'm sorry, but um, we'll put some video on the show notes page, of course, of this concerto as well. So what's something else that you can show for us on the clarinet? Yeah, next thing I would like to play is a little bit jazzy. Uh, It's very different style uh, than the classical uh, music. Yes, here it is. Gershwin's Rhapsody in Blue has one of the most fun openings to a work I can think of 
uh, for the orchestra. I imagine also for you, it's it's also probably a little nerve-wracking, you know, starting off a, a whole piece like that in the orchestra by yourself. Actually, I've very enjoying playing the jazz. You probably heard this a long glissando, this glees from a low to a higher note, and that is a we call it a special uh, technique. I don't understand why it is given to the clarinet as it is a more flexible instrument than the other uh, woodwind instruments. How difficult, if you have to quantify it, if you can quantify it, how difficult is getting all of the notes in between? Because when we think of instruments like like the trumpet with the three valves, you're pushing each valve to help the lips to facilitate them to get to the next note. And the clarinet, we have these keys that we're pushing down to cover and uncover holes in the instrument. But when you're trying to get all the notes in between that those holes can give you, how do you do that? Uh, because the clarinet's keys are open compared to um, flute and oboes, their keys are closed. So it's very almost impossible for them to do a glissando like that. And also for a clarinet player to do a glissando, we have to do a lot of adjustment with our armature, with our tongue position. Yeah, it is very different than the uh, traditional playing of the clarinet. So when you have your fingers to push down on the keys, going from that low note to the high note, are you then slowly lifting off in a distinct yeah. order the keys? But you're doing it slow, so it's not immediate, all the changes. Is that how it's happening? It's the combination of sliding the fingers and adjusting the armature, which is our mouth position and our tongue position. You know what? This is something very difficult to teach. You have to figure out your own. Okay. It's almost the technique has to match also your physiological aspect of the shape of your mouth, the shape of your tongue, the cavity inside your mouth um, to get all those notes out there. That's right. So what is another thing you can play for us on the clarinet? I would like to play a different clarinet, an E-flat clarinet, it's a, which is a shorter, smaller instrument and of course it plays higher than the standard B and the A clarinet. So this is the solo from Symphony Fantastic by Berlioz. I've said it a few times, Lynn, that this is one of my favorite moments in orchestra, especially because we've played this piece so many times and every orchestra is different, but I love it when a clarinet player is able to just almost go off the rails how intense they play this solo. It's almost diabolical how it sounds. Yes, as you can hear, the E-flat has this uh, sharp, sharper timbre and an interesting character. And it projects so well above the orchestra. So it's an E-flat compared to the A that you're using for the Mozart. So 
that means, as you said, it's shorter, so it's it's just naturally pitched higher by itself. You're not having to do anything physically different or maybe special to get those notes there, but it's literally that the instrument is smaller as well. Yeah, the instrument is smaller, but the fingering is exact the same as how you play the regular clarinets. Mm. So that's an instrument that you have to pick up to play the solo, but you're playing a different one in the Symphony Fantastique before that, right? Yes. So how do you, if you've been sitting on stage, this comes pretty late in the symphony, I think like 40 or so minutes at That's least. Right. So what do you do? I assume that clarinet's been sitting on a stand. It's now nice and cold on the stage, but now you have to play this huge solo already kind of in a high register. How do you warm that up while already being on the stage? Usually just put the instrument on our, our laps to keep the instrument warm. And there's uh, a little bit of time before the solo that we can like, prepare the reed, like wet the reed. Yeah, and uh, you don't have time to prepare, just boom. It's fun, but also challenging. Okay, so the next time we're at a concert for Symphony Fantastique, everyone, you have to watch the clarinet, the principal clarinet, and see you know, as you get to this section, slowly picking up their instrument, putting in their lap, I guess probably wetting the reed or maybe holding in their mouth even to bring that up to temperature? Yes, that's right. Wow. Well, the clarinet, as you've just played, three completely different things. The Mozart, so beautiful and long, stretching melodies to the Gershwin, a, a whole different style of music. And then with the Berlioz, this kind of... Uh, diabolical, exciting solo depicting witches. I don't know if you're hearing witches in your head or not when you play that, but it's definitely coming across as you're playing it. The clarinet, as you've shown, is truly more versatile than I think people give it credit for. It is. Uh, it has a big family of... There are many, many different clarinets with different pitches, different keys. It's a big family. So we have higher clarinets like the E-flat going down to the more typical register you see with the A, it goes lower, right? There's like a bass clarinet, probably even a contrabass clarinet. I mean, how wide of a range of a family is it? Yeah, it, the bass clarinet is a lot bigger, heavier, longer, and you can probably imagine their sound is lower and uh, broader. Yeah, uh, today I'm not going to play the bass clarinet for you. You have to come to the council hall to hear in person. Yes. So I'm wondering, as principal clarinet of the National Symphony Orchestra, what does that entail, being principal clarinet? We've talked to Narit Bar-Joseph about uh, being concertmaster and how she's a kind of liaison between conductor and orchestra, writing also, making sure the bowings are correct in parts. How does that transfer for clarinet? What are your duties as uh, principal of the section? Principal clarinet has similar responsibility as other section leaders do. When composers write, want to write a solo, the solo is usually given to the principal player's part. And also, the principal part in the wind section are written in a higher range, playing melody. Therefore, they are more exposed than the rest of the section. Besides that, uh, a principal player needs to assign the seating, deciding who is playing which part. Okay, so that's a big distinction for strings versus 
winds and brass is that strings are their their section instruments. All the violinists are playing a violin and they're playing the part together 99% of the time. But for the winds and brass and you as principal clarinet, the solos and the most exposed, often most difficult parts, those are what appears in your parts. And then you also have to... I didn't know that you have to assign also which parts the rest of the section is playing. Well, um, it's mainly between the principal and uh, associate principal. We have two principal playing the first part, and uh, usually the associate principal playing the first half of the concert, and the principal gets to play the the second half. Okay, so that's often, if you think of like a standard run-of-the-mill orchestra concert where there's an overture, a concerto, and then a symphony, the associate principal will play the overture and the concerto or whatever it might be. And then when there's, there's like a big symphony, maybe that Beethoven Symphony Number no. 6 you mentioned on the second half, that is when you come out to play. Is that because just to focus on the parts, or is there also a physical stamina part of it as well? Would it be too much to play all of that at once? Yeah, you're right. Uh, it's for the wing players. It can be physical. Uh, therefore, it's better to have two players to split the program. And uh, in the symphony, usually there are more solos given to the section leaders. Yeah, that's what the principal player's responsibility. I'm wondering, Lynn, is there anything you wish audiences knew about the clarinet? that they don't already know because they don't know someone who plays a clarinet or anything like that? I want to say that the clarinet is one of the easier instruments to learn. And so if you are looking for a hobby, you can learn the clarinet. It's a cool instrument. All right. And that, but they probably shouldn't just go to Amazon and buy <laughs> the first clarinet they see, right? Yeah, there are better quality instruments you can find. So find a music store, find a teacher, but the clarinet, it sounds like it's a fun instrument to get stuck in with. Yes. Here's a question that I love to ask, and if you don't have an answer, that's fine too. And if you have to change any of the names involved or any specific details, that's fine too. And the question is, what for you has been just the craziest unexpected moment on stage? Has something happened on stage that was completely not planned, an instrument breaking, something spilling over, music wasn't there when you sat down, something like that? Yes. I remember it was the concert we were doing Prokofiev Fifth Symphony. I, on that concert, I remember I played the full program, and I can't remember what we played in the first half, but we had, I had this big clarinet solo, so I decided to play the full program. And during the intermission, a stand from behind fell on my instrument, oh. and it knocked off on the of the stand. Yeah, my the mouthpiece, a very crucial component of the instrument, got broken. It got broken. So, and I did not have a spare one with me that day. So, <laughs> I played on the bass clarinet. Uh, bass clarinetist spare mouthpiece and um, I remember I did well you know I, I even got mentioned from a, a, a critic 
Yeah, you would wow. say. You would say even uh, it's it's uh, it's very uh, uh, fun. And uh, now when I think think back, yeah, it's great experience. Well, when you can look back on it and start to laugh, that's when you know the healing process um, has begun. But I, I was just thinking, I mean, that one, that's horrifying. That's That sounds terrible. When you, Whenever your instrument gets damaged, I mean, the pit inside of your stomach is almost bottomless. And I was wondering, well, how would a critic know? But I guess the audience, and they probably watched it happen, right? I mean, if it's sitting on stage and the stand falls over, they probably saw some unhappy faces there. I actually... Uh, that incident was not mentioned, but uh, uh, the critic was 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 saying how how, I, how, how well I did oh. on that concert. Yeah. Oh, that's even mm. better. That makes it so much better. <laughs> yeah. You got through it. You can now yeah. laugh about it. Presumably, your other mouthpiece has either been, I guess, tossed or been repaired. Yeah, it's a, it was a good experience, and hopefully, one that won't happen ever, ever, ever again. Yeah. Thank you so much, Len. This has really been a luminary hearing all the stuff about the clarinet, hearing you play, these different aspects. I think we've all learned a lot here. Um, is there anything else you'd like to let us know? Come to the symphony hall and enjoy some concerts. I think that's some very good advice. Well, thank you so much, Len. I really appreciate you talking with me today. My great pleasure. Thank you, John. Lin Ma really makes you want to listen to more clarinet, doesn't he? And we'll have a few selections on the show notes page at classicalbreakdown.org. It's time now to read your Apple Podcast reviews. This one comes from Ellen Chan, who gave us five stars and said, Makes my day. I look forward to more episodes. As a classical music and piano fan, I'm happy to discover this podcast. Well, thank you so much, Ellen Chan. We're happy you discovered us too. Now, if you've been enjoying the podcast, please leave a review in your podcast app and share it with someone else you know that loves classical music. And if you have any comments or ideas, send them to classicalbreakdown at weta.org. I'm John Banther. Thanks for listening to Classical Breakdown from Classical WETA.